This episode of the Flathead Beacon podcast is brought to you by Swenson Real Estate, service before self. With over 30 years experience, they've seen it all. Contact Jeff and Lorena today at 406-253-0033. That's 406-253-0033. Swenson Real Estate, service before self. From here in the beautiful Flathead Valley, I'm Micah Drew, and this is the Flathead Beacon Podcast for Wednesday, August 11th. This week, the Flathead Beacon ran its annual drinks issue, where we sent our reporters out into the valley to find some of the most interesting stories covering coffee, spirits, wine, and anything else that can be enjoyed in a cup, glass, or mug. This year's drinks issue took a look at Montana Coffee Traders, which is celebrating its 40th anniversary roasting and brewing coffee in western Montana, and now has 90 employees working at its four locations across the valley. In addition, Beacon intern Sky Lucas learned about the history of boba tea and slurped some tapioca pearls. Up in Whitefish, Megan Schmoll is the mind behind Rascal Drink, a spirit education and cocktail creation venture that allows those interested in adding to their knowledge of mixology to book in-person or virtual happy hours and educational seminars. The issue also featured the owners of Portal Spirits Distillery, the Flathead's latest operation that specializes in small batch rum. And last but not least, staff writer Maggie Dresser previewed the state's inaugural wine festival, hosted by the Winery Association of Montana, which will take place in Columbia Falls this coming Saturday. To get a more in-depth look at the Montana wine scene, I talked to wine consult and sommelier Jacob Eubank, who currently lends out his expertise to patrons at Bricks Bottle Shop in downtown Kalispell. But before we get to Jacob, a reminder that this week's podcast is sponsored in part by the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. Members support all of our journalism in all of its forms, in print, online, and here in the podcast studio. And they do so for as little as $5 per month. Plus, they get some extra perks too. To find out more or join today, visit beaconeditorsclub.com. And of course, if you have not yet picked up this week's copy of the Flathead Beacon, you can do so at newsstands across northwest Montana. And as always, you can follow along online at flatheadbeacon.com. Now, on to this week's guest, sommelier and wine consult Jacob Eubank, who I talked to Tuesday night at Brick's Bottle Shop. Jacob, thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Absolutely. Can you just start by introducing yourself and what you do? Yeah, so I, uh, I'm sommelier. I also have been working in the restaurant industry for about 18 years. Started here in Montana. It's kind of where I first cut my teeth at a couple of local places and then uh, just had the good fortune over the last, uh, I guess, decade and a half having some really great mentors along the way. Kind of stumbled into wine. It wasn't really, uh, wasn't really my, my forte in the beginning. For a long time, I was definitely a Montana kid who drank <laughs> a lot of Pabst and Jameson, but uh, had a few guys who thought I could wrap my head around wine and glad they were right. When you say people thought you could wrap your head around wine, how did that process kind of start? I guess uh, at the at the core of it, I'm a Virgo, so I'm pretty analytical. I uh, I like to do my due diligence, kind of a book nerd, and uh, so the technical side of things, book reading and uh, 
taking in maps and geography and soil types, that was something that uh, I've always had a lot of interest in, but didn't really know where to direct it at. And yeah, just, uh, I guess over the years, uh, running restaurants and working in the industry, I've had a few people that I've been able to take under my wing and you, and I don't know how to necessarily ex- describe what those uh, road markers are, but sometimes you see people and you go, all right, this is the guy. And uh, yeah, so I, I dove in head first. I think probably the biggest thing that sucked me in was, was history. When you really look at alcohol, a lot of the great changes and advancements in the world or uh, in culture a lot of times revolved around booze in some way. Well, like you kind of alluded to, Montana is not really known for wine as its primary uh, alcohol of consumption. And yet we do have our first ever statewide wine festival happening this weekend up in Columbia Falls. Can you talk a little bit about what that's like in terms of it's, it's exciting to have that kind of festival? We're hosting it here. And, and what can people, both new drinkers and experienced wine drinkers, get out of something like this? So I think you have to start somewhere. Uh, so it's... Uh... It's definitely still in its infancy stages here in Montana, but, you know, we're only 300 years old as a nation. So when you look at a lot of your major wine producing regions on the planet uh, that have a lot of history, they've been making wine for 300 years, but they've been existing culturally for much longer. So you have to start somewhere. I think it's a really great place to start. You know, when you look at California, Oregon, even Australia and some of your, I guess, Argentina as well, like your new world producing regions. A lot of those had a lot of a jumpstart from European producers coming over and same sort of thing, identifying regions that, hey, maybe what we knew from back home could work here. Montana has a lot of promise for it, especially with things being a bit warmer, climate being uh, a bit milder, at least here in the Flathead, looking at the last decade versus the last three, uh, things are definitely a bit more mild. Um, and that's been the biggest inhibitor, I think, personally, in my opinion, for what has held wine back in the state is our harsh winters. A lot of times, somewhere somewhere in a decade period, you have one or two years where people lose a significant portion of their vineyard due to very cold winters where the rootstock uh, or the base of the vines is actually what freezes and then kills the whole plant. Um, so as things are getting more consistent and we're finding uh, microclimates where grapes can succeed, also the University of Minnesota has been doing a lot of research on cold-hardy varieties and rootstocks. And so as that comes into the future, I think it's going to be a much, much more consistent product in the state. But also, just like with uh, our distilleries in the state, whiskey is something people associate with the American West. It's taken some time. Uh, a lot of people started out with what they were calling like white whiskeys, which is centrally moonshine. And then, you know, you've got your two, three, four year barrels that you're starting to get into brown whiskeys then, but they're still sometimes can be a little coarse. They can be a little austere. And it's really a time component, not only just for the whiskeys to age, but for those distillers and those companies to really kind of hone their craft. And I think that's going to be the case with wine as well. Is you know, it's sort of I guess another comparison would be like on on the lake where we have all these fruit orchards. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a huge investment because you plant a tree and you're not really taking fruit for anywhere from like seven to ten years when you're getting into quality fruit. And the same is the case with grapevine. Typically, you plant a vineyard probably not going to see any yields that you're going to want to make wine out of until probably that seventh or eighth vintage. And that's when the wine uh, or the grapes start having the potential for making great wine. But at the same time, when you look at a lot of these very famous regions, you're talking about 50, 60, 70 year old vines that we're just not there yet. And then you also run the risk of you plant something. uh, It's been the case in like Walla Walla, for instance, where a lot of the big producers are 
they've found in the last two decades that maybe where they planted their original vineyards aren't the prime <laughs> locations. And so as they find better locations, the wines get better. Um, as they refine their craft in the uh, cellar, the wines get better. And so I think that's just something that's going to be the case in Montana. But I think there's a lot of potential. It's something I I have a lot of curiosity about. Someday I aspire to maybe plant a vineyard, get some some weird grapes that are a little <laughs> more off the beaten path. But in in the world of wine, there is a little bit of a stigma um, of getting away from those traditional European varieties. And sometimes that's that's something people connotate with quality. So I think that's that's also an issue that you have is you, you have pretty wildly varying tastes across the country when you go to Virginia or um, say you're in uh, Tennessee and you're drinking wine. They definitely lean towards sweeter styles. It's it's a really a different wine culture than what people can, I guess, traditionally consider wine wine culture on like the West Coast. So. As they kind of navigate that, you know, there are going to be some hits, there are going to be some misses, but that's how you really create magic is, you know, failing. Well, this weekend, people will have the chance to attend a wine festival. It's going to be up in Columbia Falls. For people who haven't been to this kind of event before, what can they expect? And then, in your opinion, between a lot of local and and Montana-made wines, what do you think people should definitely try out and, and taste? So, you know, I think the the beauty of the budding wine culture in Montana is that it hasn't been around long enough for people to have too many preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's another thing that, unfortunately, wine culture tends to have is it's, uh, it's for the upper echelons of society. And a lot of everyday blue collar people are a little intimidated by wine because of that. Mm-hmm. And so I think because it is new, because you have a lot of guys that are still um, farmers, they haven't had all this crazy press where they feel they have a pedigree that pre-exists before you even see their product. It's going to be an approachable setting where you can taste things, you can kind of see what everyone's doing, but there aren't there aren't any real rules to it yet. I think the biggest thing is to show up and enjoy it because, like I said, you know, I, I in my heart, I'm a Paps and Jameson <laughs> kid. So everything has a time and place. And really, the, the biggest thing about wine is finding something you enjoy and sharing it with other people because it, it really is a, a social beverage, in my opinion. Well, in that vein, do you want to offer up some recommendations of what you're drinking this summer and then anything local or Montana made that you found especially interesting? Sure. I uh, I think that, you know, for this summer, I guess I, I've been drinking a little more beer uh, <laughs> just with, with the heat. But when I am cracking a bottle of wine, I've definitely been drinking some lighter stuff with this uh, scorching summer. I am a big fan of sparkling wine. Champagne is one of my favorite mm-hmm. things. But uh, there's a lot of cool stuff like uh, what they call pet nats, which are sort of uh, halfway to a champagne. They're a little less aggressive with the bubbles, um, but they're really light and refreshing. You get some really great fruit flavors where you're not getting as much of that yeast influence as champagne that sits on those yeast cells for a lot longer time. Um, so they're really approachable. They tend to be a little less expensive. Uh, so that's kind of been a lot of what I've been drinking. Yeah. Any local recommendations? Uh, as far as local, you know, the Flathead, um, I think, is still kind of emerging in, in the wine game. The the two two wineries that I'm a little more familiar with their products, um, you've got uh, Tongue River, which is out on the east side of the state. They tend to be a little more traditionalist. They're, um, they're doing a little more dry style wines, which is something that I think a lot of people are looking for. You know, when you, when you have like a sweet red wine, it can be a little off-putting to some people, but... It's also a time and place thing. I think that's the the real fun of wine and and also why seeing such a variety at an event like this 
can kind of get those gears rolling in your head or, well, maybe like this could be with our, you know, chocolate dessert or something like that. Really finding those times and places. Um, Yellowstone Cellars is another one that I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of. And then the other one, uh, Hidden Legend, I think probably is one that makes a little more sense um, in terms of just the history of the state, the products we have, where they're doing a lot with fruit wines, but they're playing with mead, which is um, also, I guess, considered a wine product, but is a honey wine. And I think they do a really fine job with that. And that's also one where you don't necessarily have to wait as long because you just have to get the honey. You don't have to wait for the vines to reach maturity. You just have to put your uh, bee boxes near something that tastes good, like clover or you know even uh, some alfalfa honey and then they fortify those with a lot of our local products so they are playing with like choke cherries and huckleberries and so those can be um, kind of interesting wines to sort of dip your toes into uh, with the montana products well jacob thank you for taking the time and sharing some knowledge with us jacob can be found working at bricks bottle shop in downtown kalispell if you ever want to pick his brain and he also curates the monthly wine club there correct Uh, In addition, he is a professional photographer. His work can be seen online and on Instagram, and those will be linked in the show notes. But Jacob, thank you so much for chatting today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. The Winery Association of Montana will host its inaugural state wine festival at the Coop in Columbia Falls on Saturday, August 14th. The festival will feature food trucks, music by Archertown, a People's Choice Award competition, and a sommelier blind tasting. Tickets will be $15 at the gate and will include a commemorative glass and five one-ounce taste pours. We'll be back after this. And before we get to this week's headlines, Dr. Mark Remington of Glacier Eye Clinic has a message from our sponsor this week. I've known Jeff for probably around 20 years. Very good friend of mine. He's helped me both personally and professionally in the real estate market. He is super ethical, super knowledgeable. He's prompt. He'll return your calls and he'll steer you in the right direction. As a friend, he's been service before self. Contact Swenson Real Estate at 406-253-0033 today. And now, here are the biggest news stories from the last seven days as of 8 p.m. Tuesday, August 10th. A damp weekend in the Flathead Valley came as a blessing to those battling wildfires across the region. An inch of rain fell on the Hay Creek Fire burning west of Glacier National Park, slowing the growth of the blaze which has burned nearly 3,000 acres. The fire is currently 23% contained and has more than 200 personnel working on it. There will be a community meeting at 6 p.m. August 11th in Sanderson Hall. Last weekend's Boulder 2700 fire, which prompted evacuations along Montana Highway 35, saw slower growth with the weekend's moisture as well. The fire, which is just over 2,000 acres, is currently 33% contained. The cause of this devastating fire remains under investigation, but it is believed to be human-caused. As the coronavirus pandemic is well into its second year, Montana has seen an exponential growth in COVID-19 cases driven by the high number of unvaccinated people in the state. The Montana Department of Health and Human Services released a report last week that noted that while there's been an 18% increase in first-dose vaccine administration recently, the state is seeing a rapid increase in positive cases and hospitalizations. According to state data, unvaccinated individuals account for nearly 90% of all COVID-19 hospitalizations and 78% of all deaths in Montana between June 5th and July 30th. 
In Flathead County, more than 650 active cases of COVID-19 have been reported to the county as of August 10th, and an average of 53 new cases are being reported daily. The county's vaccination rate continues to lag behind other populated counties and is at 40%. In Kalispell, the Glacier Queer Alliance is no longer operating out of a closet-sized space at the former Kalispell Hospital. Instead, the nonprofit recently opened an 1,800-square-foot community resource center at the Gateway Community Center, where it will host a full schedule of small groups and educational events. The rainbow-splattered facility has nearly 200 LGBTQ and non-binary works of literature that community members can check out, and it offers a space to host social and educational groups like a Games Plus group and a Trans Plus group for those who identify on the non-binary spectrum. And finally, the latest mid-year visitation numbers from the University of Montana's Institute of Tourism and Recreation Research shows a record number of people flocking to Montana's state parks. So far in 2021, visitation at Montana's parks has increased 11% over 2020 and 44% over 2019. With the increase of nearly 1.6 million visitors to parks in the first half of the year, there has also been an increase in usage at fishing access sites and other areas managed by Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. This has also coincided with an increase in lodging tax across the state, which has increased 28% in the first quarter of the year compared to 2020. That's all for this week. As always, you can stay up to date on the latest news online at flatheadbeacon.com. And thanks again to Jacob Eubank for sharing his expertise on all things wine-related. He can be found online and through social media, which are linked in the show notes below, as well as behind the counter at Bricks Bottle Shop. This edition of the Flathead Beacon podcast was hosted, produced, edited, and mixed by me, Micah Drew. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.